You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIBC. Welcome back, Indianapolis. I hope you've been enjoying the discussion so far. Of course, we've delved into some of Biden's inauguration and the initial executive orders already already, uh, given by the administration. But... I wanted to do a retrospective on some of the high times and the low times. I mean, it's it's truly been the best of times and the worst of times with the Trump administration. And bringing into the studio a like-minded individual who I think has a lot of insight into what has been going on in the Trump administration, particularly in the final days, and has explained it so eloquently. I'm welcoming Chris Spangle, uh, host of the We Are Libertarians podcasting network's The Chris Spangle Show. Um, coming, welcoming into the studio. Thank you, Chris. It's so great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, and and before we delve into the conversation, I really want to say that Chris has served as an inspiration for me personally because he has worked so hard to build the brand of the We Are Libertarians podcasting network and expand its social media presence. And he showed that through hard work and dedication to the craft of radio and expanding and uh, perfecting the art of communication, it can be done. And I think that's very inspirational, Chris. So I just want to congratulate you on what you've been doing well thank you so much yeah we um woke up to several strikes on facebook so hopefully that lasts <laughs> <laughs> well yeah the uh, zuckening has affected a lot of meme pages a lot of political pages and yeah. it appears you know you know um it, it appears that they are um if we don't have memes if we don't have the freedom to meme do we even have freedom <laughs> that's what i like to ask i think we need to think about that um, well, let's let's delve into really what I wanted to talk about, which was the Trump administration's successes and failures. And we're really going to talk about in, in this first segment some of his highlights, um, which is, is oddly enough, as I was preparing for this segment, kind of difficult to recall. And only Trump could do that <laughs> to make some of the monumental accomplishments and positive achievements of his administration the footnote to what happened in only four years. Like, the- I, Yeah, I know we'll talk about the failures, but that seems like the biggest one. You know, when I did this show, I have... 16 pages of notes from we did a similar show before the election and you look at its promises and his and his successes and his failures and there's there was a lot there mm-hmm. it's just that nobody remembers any of it <laughs> you know it'll be the impeachments it will be the tweets it'll be the the insurrections it'll be you know and, and it's just what you see in the record of Donald Trump both good and bad is two steps forward one step back or two steps back in some cases you know and that's I think it's if you're a free marketer, a free marketeer or a conservative or a Republican, that's probably the biggest frustration that most people have. Absolutely. And it can be explained or or I should say shown in the voting phenomena in that he managed to expand his base, expand the number of people who are voting for him, including minorities. And yet there were twice as many people who voted against him. And like that is the Trump personality phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's really there. The best way to look at this is that this swamp is what got him those first two years of successes. So many of the things that we'll talk about in these successes came under Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell Mm -hmm. and some of these other swamp monsters that were in his administration. And as his personality drove those people away, and it became Donald Trump running the show. You get to 2020, and you know, January of 2020, I would have gone. I can see myself voting for him. The economy is really good. Like, you know, he's going to be better than Joe Biden on a lot of stuff or Kamala Harris or whatever. But then when he was faced with a real crisis and you saw 
the anemic nature of the administration, that's when I just went, this is, this guy's, what, what's here? You know, I mean, what are we going to get in the second term? Well, one of his significant accomplishments in the first term was completely reshaping the federal judiciary, which was yeah. very significant. He installed, of course, the three Supreme Court justices, Amy Coney Barrett, Brett Kavanaugh, and Neil Gorsuch, one of which was, as you mentioned, part of Mitch McConnell's delivering because he had, you know, balls of steel yeah. and showed up the Obama administration and not denying them the pick. But otherwise, the Trump called, uh, Trump installed more than 226 judges in the federal bench, which is 25 percent of all U.S. court federal judges over. Overall. So that's pretty significant to take a quarter of the overall bench and shape that under your. Yeah, this really started under Harry Reid. I mean, a few people really remember uh, the showdown between Bush being unable to appoint many judges and Harry Reid stymieing that, which McConnell paid back under the Obama administration. And then the stars aligned where you had McConnell and the Senate in charge of it, and they just really, along with the Federalist Society, pushed a lot of judges through. So, you know, that's sort of a self-own <laughs> by the Democrats in a lot of ways. Also, very significantly, um, the the peace uh, the, the peace agreements in the Middle East, stuff that in the Obama administration was said to be impossible. And when I was going to college in the University of Indianapolis in some of our political science classes, like these pol- positions were considered to be laughable at yeah. the time just a few years ago. But now we're sitting on three major peace agreements between Jordan and Israel, between the United Arab Emirates and Israel, and between uh, Bahrain. And Israel as well. And that, I mean, these are the first peace agreements in a quarter of a century. So as long as they hold, nobody expected Donald Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, to come back from the desert with three peace deals. I was like, whoa! I didn't either. And that, it it shows you, and this is one of the things that people have failed to appreciate, especially as, as we've become more polarized. You can get a lot done... Um, for instance, I, I heard Mitch Daniels on a radio interview once say that only a Democratic president could really get like the federal debt under control because of in-group policing, and you'd have to triangulate in the way that Clinton did when he was president. You know, a Republican president is only going to be able to get certain things done that a Democrat president can't or won't, and this is one of those things, you know, and so he was really in a good position to get this done. It's one of the biggest accomplishments, in my view. You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle on 93 WIBC. I'm your host, Ethan Hatcher. Joining me in the studio is Chris Spangle of The Chris Spangle Show and the We Are Libertarians Podcasting Network. Um, thanks for joining me in the discussion. And, of course, we're going over some of Trump's administration accomplishments, which really, again, it's baffling how some of these major achievements have been the footnote of, of Donald Trump's four-year administration. It's been you know a real roller coaster obviously, for everybody who's been paying attention. And some of the things he's accomplished uh, otherwise are like tax reform, mm-hmm. lowering the corporate tax rate from 35 to 21 percent, the biggest uh, change to the tax code in almost three decades. Also, the criminal justice reform, which, you know, is somewhat tepid, but it's the important first steps. And the bill passed with bipartisan support in Congress, um, and it overhauled sentencing laws, which reduced mandatory minimum sentences for felonies uh, and expanded early release programs, as well as making retroactive a sentencing law, which reduced sentencing disparity between crack and powder cocaine offenses. Like, you don't... Cool! Right. That's that disproportionately affected minorities and, you know, for is an accomplishment for the supposed racist president uh, that the the media apparatchik portrayed. Trump 
could have been a great centrist president because he had several things going for him. First of all, 30 years as a Democrat. And second, payments to all of these various politicians for many reasons. But he also has an incredible pain tolerance to take criticism from his side and other sides. And so if he had focused on something that was across the aisle issue like criminal justice reform and really beat that drum for four years to radically change the imbalances in our system, especially towards people of color, he could have gone down as a, as a very successful president. And I think he could have led people in a different direction instead of dabbling in a lot of the immigration and the Stephen Miller stuff, sure. which, which is what earns him that nickname of, you know, dabbling with white supremacists and, and the Charlottesville stuff. You know, on the, on the tax rate, I mean, that is what led to growth. I mean, corporations and businesses, when they pay ca- corporate taxes— they're paying off of taxed money already. It's a double taxation. And when they have more money, they pay their people more. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Or they provide more value back to shareholders or they lower their prices. And so it led to a lot of the great economic success. So that is certainly good. Again, one drawback is the tariffs for every $1,200 that people got back in that tax uh, cut. They paid eight to $900 in new tariffs. So, again, two steps forward, one step back, but that permanent tax code, uh, corporate tax cut, is going to be one of his best legacies. Certainly. Um, another one of his legacies is that the U.S. Uh, in his administration became the largest oil producer uh, for the first time uh, in, in quite a long time, as well as, uh, let's see, being a net neutral oil importer for the first time since 1957. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, that's... And I expect, I expect particularly this accomplishment to stand as a direct um, distinction between the incoming Biden administration. Of course, famously during the debates, he indicated that he wouldn't ban fracking, but <laughs> every uh, appearance now is that the administration is in direct opposition to any expansion of current you know, oil exploration and uh, refining. Yeah, I mean, energy policy is one of those things where it's very complex and People don't have a tolerance to talk about it, and so they just kind of buy whatever a special interest group sort of says or a celebrity tweets. And we make a lot of bad decisions on both the right and the left uh, in terms of energy policy. If we could get it together, that'd be great. And just have a little bit of stability, which I think is what any market, particularly the free market, craves. Yeah. I mean, the uh, the, the falling off of the peak oil mania that – you had in high school or I had in college has gone away. You know, the end of oil and books and documentaries about all that. I think people have kind of calmed down about that. So that's that's a big reason gas prices have fallen. Uh, another accomplishment of the Trump administration, which I thought was significant in patient rights, was um, allowing hot or well allowing people to have the right to try, which of course was passed by bipartisan, and then also requiring hospitals to post their standard charges for services, including the discounted prices that they're willing to settle for. Again, increasing transparency in the market because that's people can't shop around at the hospitals. There aren't pricing lists. That's right. that's one of the famous. Um, you know, institutional hardships uh, is its lack of accessibility and transparency. Yeah, when you're out talking to people, healthcare is number one. That mm-hmm. is the issue. And you know, this administration did some really good things, like what you've mentioned, and then they did some things to undermine the Obamacare uh, stuff without any solution on the other end. So it's like. I like you trying to kill Obamacare, but then you've got to have some plan, right? Like right. you can't just undermine it. So 
it's uh you know it's balanced out like this is one of those things where uh the right to try bill is a no-brainer if you want to take hydroxychloroquine or whatever it is like that's on you and your doctor like the government should have absolutely no intervention in that it's between you and a healthcare provider it's not between you and a president and yet it took the trump administration to bring that to fruition so you know again an accomplishment but i i think when you were mentioning uh obamacare and trump administration's lack of uh ability to provide an effective replacement for that that is an excellent segue to of course the failures well can i can i hop in there i'm so sorry to cut off another host i know that's annoying but i want to say the greatest achievement of the trump administration was breaking the intervention fever in foreign policy for Republicans. Oh, yeah. You know, no, 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 killing no, no. the Wilsonian ideology that was carried forth by George Bush. And, you know, I just think that that is his single greatest accomplishment because it's going to lead to more peace. Now, d- what did Donald Trump really do? He didn't change a lot of Obama's declining interventionism, but that's good, right? He didn't come in and, and revert... Uh, you know, and scale up the military and do a bunch of military spending and invade a lot of countries as a former Republican president might have. He carried on a lot of the things that Barack Obama tried to set in motion. And And military action is a lot like economics. You know, we, we that first year, you don't give credit to the current president. You've got to give credit to the policies of the past president. And, you know, like the economy that Biden has for the next couple of years is going to be Trump's. And so, that, I think, is his biggest and best accomplishment because I cannot stress enough as a non-interventionist who does not believe in foreign wars how incredibly nice it is to not have a knee-jerk reaction from Republicans and Democrats every time there's trouble. There's really a lack of trouble right now, right? Mm-hmm. Like we saw the bombing in, in Iraq yesterday, and that was like shocking because we hadn't seen that in a long time. Uh, And that is, I think, a huge credit to Donald Trump for having the guts to say to his team, we're not going to do this anymore. Well, I think there was a a large fear uh, perpetuated by the media that Trump was going to be the vanguard of World War III between Iran or North Korea. And, of course, that that didn't happen. He tried. I mean, (laughs) if you believe the reports, like Mattis stopped him from going to war with Iran. Obviously, he killed Soleimani. Uh, You know, he did a couple things and, and, and. dropped more drone strikes than Barack Obama did. So there his he's not a non-interventionist. Like he's not a man of peace, but he certainly did more than any other Republican president in our lifetimes to to break that fever and start moving them away from military intervention overseas. We've described him on the show as a dove with talons. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. That's a good way to put it. Uh, so anyway, segue to the Trump administration failures coming up. You've been listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIBC. Stay tuned for more. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIBC. Ah, the Trump administration. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And, of course, we've been uh, doing a retrospective on some of the high points and the low points, the successes and the failures of the administration over the past four years, kind of putting a, a, a capstone 
on a very contentious period in American history. I, of course, am your humble host, Ethan Hatcher on 93 WIBC, hosting Saturday Night on The Circle, and welcoming into the studio uh, my friend Chris Spangle, host of The Chris Spangle Show, part of the We Are Libertarians podcasting network. Thank you for coming in and talking with me, Chris. Nice to see you. Um, and, of course, we've been, like I said, talking about successes and failures. And I think uh, Chris Bangle in particular has been um, a very level voice um, in the midst of a lot of turmoil, chaos, uh, and, and disagreements in the American people about, uh, you know, the, the administration. And I, I think you're a good neutral third party being, the, you know, uh, uh, being a libertarian famously yeah. uh, to kind of talk about the, uh, the success and the failures. Thank um, you. One of the failures early in the administration um, that set a narrative he was never able to shake was Charlottesville and his, the way he handled that. Of course, famously, he, he blamed many sides for the violence at the rally, which killed one Heather Hayer, and later said that there were fine people on both sides of the event. Um, And that set the tone for this narrative that Trump was a white supremacist because, of course, he wasn't able to immediately forcefully denounce white supremacy when it was on full display. And that was, of course, another failing that he later repeated during the debates uh, when Chris Wallace asked him point blank to denounce white supremacists. And he kind of hemmed and hawed and tiptoed around the answer. And that just wasn't a good look. Um, you, you can agree or disagree with whether that meant he, uh, you know, supported white supremacy, but it wasn't the way to uh, shed the weight of the issue from his campaign. Yeah, Donald Trump has a pathological issue, like a, a diagnosable issue with criticizing people that like him while denying anything and everything when he feels that he's unfairly attacked. So, like, Russia is a blind spot of his, right? So he spent a lot of the presidency not taking on Russian interference and not taking on Russia aggression because he felt that if he did, it would give, you know, he loved to say that he was tough on Russia, but he wasn't. Like, the position of China and Russia on the world stage is greatly strengthened because of this last presidency. And it's the same with with white supremacists. It's the same with, you know, take a group like the Proud Boys, which did not exist at the beginning of the Trump administration. You take uh, the three percenters. And and I think we need to be clear here, right, because 47 million Trump voters are not Proud Boy white supremacists or the people that are at the Capitol are not the people that are invading the Capitol because they're violent three percenters in tactical gear. The problem is that so many people, it, it, it triggers a coalitional instinct. I'm going to not say anything bad about the Proud Boys because if I do, the left might think that I'm, you know, I'm I'm sabotaging one of these guys, right? Like, and Trump has that instinct where he won't just condemn people who he thinks support him, and it makes it look like he's enabling them. And in a lot of ways, the growth of the the violence that we saw at the Capitol is because he wouldn't check his own side, and he is grossly, grossly underwhelming. He whispers that he's against white supremacy, and it's on him. Like, that's he bears some responsibility for the growth of, of these groups. Um, and that's one, one aspect that I find to be a baffling response from Donald Trump, like, is the apprehension of drawing a direct distinction between groups, uh, between yourself and groups which allegedly don't represent you in any way at all. 
and it was echoed also by conservative media in the past four years in their inability to call out these individuals, which again, you know, even even most recently exhibited by the individuals storming the Capitol. Like, if they don't represent you, call it out. That right. it seems easy to me. The, it, there's, and I think it's just so much of the problems on the right right now stem from adopting the psychology of the man. I just think he is. He demands absolute loyalty, and if you're critical of him one time, if you're Bill Barr or Mike Pence, like you disagree one time and you're out. And so people, and this is the problem with power, right? Like Donald Trump is a lovable buffoon before he gets political power, but the second he becomes president, he becomes a terror to a lot of people, right? Like, and that's because the nature of government is force. He can force you to live his way and do something. Or else, and that's why people are afraid of Biden because he. And so we've fallen into this pure power state where if I don't get them, they're going to get me. And so we need to wrestle for the gun of government. And I think a lot of people look at the Proud Boys and the Three Percenters and the militia types, and they say, "I'm not going to criticize them and say that this is wrong because I kind of like that that they're. I like that they're the on the front lines and the vanguard because if they're not out there fighting." I might have to and I don't want to instead of everybody just looking around and going, let's deescalate this. And that's why Donald Trump gets so much hate for Charlottesville on because he never chose to deescalate. He chose to make his campaign message in 2020. The left is coming to get you. And the only thing standing between them and you is me. And that's just a very terrifying message for a lot of people. And I just have to say, like, find a Democrat and go to dinner with them. They're not trying to come and get you. They have a different point of view. And I think his psychology has been extremely hurtful to both sides of the country. For me, the last two and a half months of the the Trump administration, basically from Election Day on, were the fulfillment of my worst fears and apprehensions of the Trump administration before 2016, which yeah. is why I voted for Gary Johnson and not for Trump, but why I voted for Trump and not for um, uh, Joe Jorgensen. And this cycle, but then you know, of course, he he, he made me regret my decision <laughs> in right. the weeks after like, that. It's like, oh, Donald no, yeah, Trump. Could, this was what I was worried about. Trump and could Trump could have won re-election handily and not cost Republicans four Senate seats in sure. Arizona and Georgia. There's no reason that North Carolina and Georgia and Arizona should be blue. It's it's solely on him. And so all these libertarians who are pro-Trump keep going at me like because you were anti-Trump and anti-conspiracy theory, you must be a Biden supporter. And so therefore, every big spending project is on you because you weren't part of the team. And that's patently absurd. Like if Donald Trump, if you had had the courage to check your president and say these things are not okay. This behavior is not okay. And the Republicans in the Senate and the House stood up to him instead of just constantly following him around, I'll say in a polite way. Like, they they would be in such a better position. If Donald Trump had not done the whole stolen election thing, he would be the nominee in 2024. And now he's facing having the legal inability to do so, let alone the fact that his numbers are in the tank and – he got removed from all these plays. Like, he'd be in such a better position if 
if he had some self-reflection. And adopting a lack of self-reflection is not going to help Republicans moving forward. Well, and I had honestly expected a lot more artful ribbing from the Trump administration apparatus following an election loss. For example, in the, you know the, this last week, Mike Pompeo declaring uh, what's going on in China as uh, recognizing it as a genocide right. in the United States. Like, that's thumbing their nose at the incoming Biden administration in a very subtle but appreciable way. It's putting them in a position where they have to <laughs> the Biden has to walk that back or he has to confirm it. It's That's right. It's that interesting That's great. Yeah, that interesting gamesmanship was lost because for all the talk of 8D chess, Donald Trump is not a strategic thinker. He's sort of lazy. And if he, you know, for instance, one of the problems for Republicans, and this is the most infuriating failure to me as a person that doesn't like regulation, Donald Trump didn't fill out like 25 to 50 percent of the government bureaucrats because he just didn't care about any of that stuff. And so and they didn't have a team that was competent enough to fill out that government. And so when a president installs his people, he installs his ideology for about 30 years of that person's career. You know, there's people who served under Clinton that are retiring that implemented a lot of regulations. And so now you have an extraordinary amount of appointments to all these agencies that will be made by Joe Biden, and it will be pro-regulation, anti-free market. And it's and it's because of his lack of go get him and his lack of curiosity and interest. And it flies in the face directly of the of free marketers interests. And that's one of those places where he cost the right a lot. And and it's solely, you know, and people, they get this criticism makes their behind pucker and it shouldn't. You should just accept it and go, this is the cost of, uh, of kowtowing to him. Well, I think we can also declare the Trump persona of the Twitter experiment to be a failure. That was a complete distraction from the administration and a detraction in many ways from his accomplishments because, you know, know, we were constantly following the antics of what was going on in Twitter rather than paying attention to the administration. And that was not a benefit to Republicans generally. This is where the left failed. And so the Democrats specifically in the media Every out-of-place tie or too long of a fingernail in 2016, 17, 18 that became the hottest scandal, oh my goodness, and the outrage, 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 and you know, pushing the Russian collusion narrative. I believe Russia interfered in our elections. I don't think that Donald Trump cooperated with them. It's obvious. It's clear. But pretending that they did uh, work with Russia, they shot— they spent too much capital too early. Instead of just being patient, you know, Al Green putting forth articles of impeachment in January of 2017. It's too early, right? Like this guy, if he's as bad as you say he is, will do a capital insurrection or Ukraine eventually, right? So save your powder. And so it, it became for the right that self, we, it increased that coalitional instinct to protect him. And Donald Trump never had any interest because he doesn't have the ability to de-escalate and just go, I get that one wrong. You know, like he just can't do it. And I don't understand looking at the election results and the losses in Arizona and Georgia, why so many Republicans are and libertarians, frankly, are looking to repeat this style of us versus them politics. Because from a pure 
politics perspective, when you play us versus them, if it's me against you and the the five people here, right, and you're either with me or against me, all of a sudden there's more thems to take you out at the kneecaps than there are us, right? And from a political standpoint, when the demographics are not in the Republicans' favor, making enemies of libertarians and, for, you know, never Trump Republicans and pushing all Burning these people. Bridges rather than building them. Yeah, pushing. And, and you know, the Hawley, Ted Cruz route that everybody on the on the Republican Party is really going, this is the future. It It's not. And, and all it does is just build a coalition against you when really we really need a healthy two-party system. I mean, because I'm a against the two-party system, but I'm really against a one-party system, which is what the Republicans are going to give us if they keep going down this conspiratorial road. Uh, what do you think the best way is for Republicans to move forward in a post-Trump uh, cult of personality world? You they, know? they have to take the consequences of coddling him for four years, and that is dropping Trump like today— <laughs> And sacrificing those voters, in if they start a third party, awesome. I'm all for it. I'll lend, I'll lend a hand in helping you get your party affiliation set up. Of all that experience with the LP, like I'm ready to. I want five parties, right? Like you're gonna have to take a, a brutal loss for a couple cycles, as the public continues to punish you for allowing somebody that caused real pain. Whether I'm sure a lot of the people listening don't get it, right? Like because they watch a different set of news. But when you're out in the rest of the country, the last year has been very hard. And a lot of the people who support Trump made it worse. They made it harder on other people. And, you know, it's like I'm talking to a small business owner in California today, and I'm like, what's the what's one of the worst parts about your business? And he says, the anti-maskers who come in and cost me $1,000 fines, right? Like, you know, it, it, it's – he didn't say that exactly, but, like, that was because he's more polite than I am. But, like, that's the point. Like, I don't like wearing a mask either, but not enough that I'm going to cost a local business another ticket, right? Like, and so Republicans have to move on from Donald Trump, and they have to – build a coalition and they have to be bold against racism that's one of the costs the last four years they have to be somewhat woke then they have to remember that the point of government is protecting marginalized communities and minorities from majorities and it seems like the republican party through immigration and some of these other issues they seem to never care about those marginalized communities of whatever group because they want to protect their economic position. And it makes sympathetic people like me go, well, if, you, if you're just always going to take that position, then you don't care about people. You're hard-hearted and you're awful. Republicans have to start showing that they actually do care about people, that they do care about protecting the rights of minority groups. And I'm not just talking about identity groups. I'm talking about, you know— protecting the rights of Republicans in Marion County from the majority of Democrats, right? Like, right. that's the point of government. The individual is always the smallest minority. It's exactly right, protecting the individual. And, you know, I, I, I just look at the right at the moment, and they have abandoned 
the, a lot of, the, a lot of ethical foundations. Yes, too. the like natural of, the natural rights tradition that held libertarians and Republicans together. The rights of the individual to to flourish in a society, and not you know not to be oppressed by the government. And they've slipped into this pure power. They've walked away. They're just chasing power now. And maybe they always were. And I was naive, but. Well, I think that was particularly highlighted by, you know, David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler. Like, I mean, if you ask me, do I want Democrats to hold the majority in a one-party administration and, you know, take the Senate? And the answer is no. But if you ask me, do I think that David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler are worthwhile senators? The answer is also no, because they sold off their stocks when they got insider information utilizing their position in government to benefit their own, you know, themselves. It's- like. I, I can't say that they deserve to be senators after doing that. What do, what do you want me to do? I don't yeah, know. <laughs> the, and this this comes down to the rule of law, which is a fundamental prim- – I mean one side seems committed to the rule of law and trying to play by the rules, and one side seems to not be wanting to, to – like, I, you know, I just look at MAGA at the moment and the people that are storming the Capitol and see no fundamental difference between them and the Antifa crowd that were burning down right. Wendy's in the summertime. Like, I'm for the rule of law because that's what makes a free society function. That's what gets people, you know, we have to, we cannot have rule of man where just because you feel like doing something to someone one day, it's okay because we're on the right team. That's blood feuds. That's not the rule of law. And I shouldn't be, like, I watched Todd Young explain the rule of law to a group of Trump supporters. And I'm like, I never thought, like, I would go, Todd Young is awesome. Wow, that's right as a libertarian, but he gets the fundamental premise of the rule of law, whereas Jim Banks is willing to throw the rule of law out completely for a chance to possibly run for governor in four years because he feels like bamboozling a bunch of Republicans. Like, that is a man without honor. That is a man that is willing to take advantage of people and lie to them for political power. That's not a person you want in charge. You want a guy like Todd Young who says, I disagree with this, but the law is the law, and that's what protects me when the other guy's in power. You know, and that is the fundamental thing that Republicans have to get back to. And and Donald Trump didn't care about the rule of law. He cared about political power and punishing the people he didn't like, and the right has adopted that psychology. And I'm sure somebody out there right now is going, but the left, but the left, but the media, but the media. And I just have to say your whataboutism is an abandonment of principles. And if you don't regain those principles, then people will no longer see you as legitimate leaders. Well, we also have four four years of the incoming Biden administration to decry its shortcomings. Dude, and the the you- left is going to mess it up. Democrats, <laughs> everybody used the Democrats as like this uh, Borg. Yeah. That is going to eradicate. Like, if you talk to Democrats, they go, "No, we're not Democrats the board. Don't like Democrats. We're the Three Stooges. We're going to blow it. Just wait, okay?" Unfortunately, Chris, uh, you know we've had a fantastic conversation, but with the, the hour has virtually blown by. So, you know, we kind of got to leave it here. But thank you for coming into the studio and talking about the Trump administration with me. You know, uh, it, it's been a very lively conversation, to say the least. Appreciate you having me on. And thank you for tuning in to 93 WIBC Saturday Night on the Circle. Closing thoughts coming up next. Stay tuned.